Well, it is so great to be back, and uh, I just want to say uh, a very special thank you to our elders uh, for giving me a season to go and just pray and study. Uh, we call it my study time. Every summer I get a couple of weeks to go do that, and I also want to thank Micah and Keith and Brennan for the great job they did in my absence. I'm so proud of those guys and grateful for them. You know, I've been thinking about this coronavirus, and it has definitely made uh, 2020 memorable for all the wrong reasons. But some economists are saying there is a silver lining to this virus. Now, hear me out. This unexpected blessing is that many Americans, over the course of the first two and a half months of this pandemic, have actually been saving money. Now I want you to hear again. They have been saving money. Americans aren't very good at saving money. At least historically, we haven't been. I mean, over the years, in the recent years anyway, with the help of available credit, we have often spent more money than we've actually earned. And that's not going to end well. But during this pandemic, that has not been the case. In the early months of it, anyway, the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis reported that at the end of May, and I quote, the personal savings rate hit a historic 33% in April. Now, this rate that they're talking about here is actually the amount that people save as a percentage of their disposable income, 33% is by far the highest level since the department started tracking these statistics back in the 1960s. Now, this doesn't mean anything to you until you see it in graph form. Take a look at this. This is what they're talking about. This is what normally we've been dealing, our savings rate, right? Down here in the 10% rate. And here it is during the first two and a half months of coronavirus, 33%. Kind of amazing, right? Well, there's something else that has been remarkably out of the ordinary during this season. Individuals who've been cooped up up at home, working remotely with flexible hours, having basically no social activities, no live sports to watch, none of their favorite shows have had new shows, all of that's been shut down. And they've had this, this sense of emptiness, uh, a, lot of, a lot of free time. And so what they've been doing is there's been this increasingly, increasing number of people participating in the stock market as day traders. Now, why does any of this have to do with anything? Well, Wall Street Journal summed this whole thing up with an article titled, Everybody's a day trader now. It's interesting that so many people during the pandemic have seen this opportunity and they are investing some of their savings, maybe all of their savings that they saved in the first two and a half months in the stock market. Now, Wealthfront is a financial blog and this is what they wrote about all these new day traders. Listen to this. 
these new market participants have very likely contributed to the extreme volatility that has recently characterized stock prices. Professional investors such as the legendary Howard Marks and Warren Buffett have been extremely cautious as the economy has entered into a deep recession, and they have actually been selling equities. But legions of new day traders, the people we're talking about, have poured new money into stocks without a care for the risks involved. Now, this is what I, this is what I found really interesting about all of this. That phrase at the end of that blog post, without a care for the risks involved. It makes me wonder what it's like in the middle of a global pandemic where our entire economy has been shut down for months. How does somebody do anything without a care for the risks involved. I'm not sure that's really true, but if it is true, it makes me wonder, in the broader sense of life, what kind of investors are we? Are you the high roller who stares risks right in the eye and you stare it down until it blinks before you do? Or Are you more of the investor who gets all their resources, all their valuables in cash and hides it in their mattress? Are you somewhere in between? You see, as Christ followers, we've all been given something to invest in God's kingdom. And let's be honest, it's risky. Those investments can be risky. But what if, like the legions of day traders, we face risks with confidence? What if, what if we live boldly and courageously? What if we were living without a care for the risks involved? What would change? I think one of the things that would change if we lived like that, like first century Christians, we'd change the population of heaven. I think we would see people's lives change in a dramatic way. Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus gave three parables in sequence. Three parables. He gave all three of them right in a row. And the purpose of these parables was to encourage encourage people to be on the lookout for his return and to be laboring faithfully until he returns. And the parable we're going to look at as we close down our series, The Moral of the Story, is found in Matthew, the 25th chapter, starting with verse 14 through verse 30. It's called The Parable of the Bags of Gold. That's what the NIV calls it. Some of you may have an older translation, and in it, the NIV says, The Parable of the Talents. And I'll explain all that here in just a moment. But if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 25, starting with verse 14. This parable we're looking at is the third parable in this series of three. And what you're going to see in this teaching is that we may not be the most successful in the eyes of others if we're following what Jesus taught. We may not be even popular with those around us in our culture 
But if we're faithful and we're spiritually profitable, we will receive a reward when Jesus returns. So let's pick up the parable. Matthew 25, verse 14 and following. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. In this parable, a wealthy man gave some of his capital to three of his servants. And it says he entrusted it to them. He had confidence in them. He trusted them. Now the NIV says that he gave each of these servants their portion of his wealth in the form of bags of gold. Where does that come from? Well, the word that's translated bags of gold, it's not a direct translation. The word in the Greek is talenton. Talenton. And that word is where we get our word talent. In fact, there are numerous translations that actually use the word talent instead of The NIV's translation, bags of gold. Now, what exactly is a talent that Jesus is talking about here in this parable? Well, in the Greek, a talent originally was a measure of weight. But by the time the New Testament rolled around, all the weight units had become standard monetary measurements. They were used for measuring gold and also silver. And since scholars today aren't exactly certain what the weight of a talent was, it's difficult to know the precise amount that each of these servants received. But one of the best estimates is that a talent was equal to the worth of 6,000 denarii. So to put that in context, if you were a day laborer, it would take you 20 years to earn the equivalency of one talent. In our, in our dollars today, that amount would be somewhere around $300,000. One talent, $300,000. Now, if the weight was actually in gold, that, as the NIV says, it would actually be even higher than that, regardless of the exact amount. And I, I don't really think that that's all that important. We can be certain of one thing. The amounts that this wealthy man gave his servants were quite substantial. The other significant point in this part of the text is that these talents were proportioned out according to the individual's abilities. The more gifted, the more skilled, the more talents they received. We pick the story up then in verse 16 and continue. It says, The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more, five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now there's no indication here that the master had told the servants what to do with the money. He just entrusted it to them. But if you think about it, we probably would all reach the same conclusion, that this guy wants his servants to do something with the money. 
some kind of investment where they can actually grow this talent into something even greater. Why else would he give it to them? Why else would he entrust it to them just for them to hold? That doesn't make sense. There had to be a purpose. And it seems obvious that he expects them to use their initiative to wisely put this money to use. And the first two servants do just that. They double their original capital, while the third servant, he opts for the safer course, one without any risk, eliminating all worry about what could happen. He buried the money for safekeeping. And truthfully, in the first century, that appears to be a rather prudent move. Burying valuables, according to rabbinical law, was regarded as the best security against theft. So this servant gave himself the assurance that at least the money that had been entrusted to him, the original initial investment that was given to him by the master, he would be able to return that to his boss when he returns. Now here's a question. We have an idea about the third servant, but what was the motivation for those first two servants to work so hard, to actually double their investment? What was it? As they put the money to work, what was it that motivated them? Well, I think it was simply this. They knew that the master would return. He is coming back and they wanted to have something to show him when he returned. Remember verse 16 said, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once, it said, and put his money to work. It seems as though there was an urgency with this guy. Right away, he got the investment and right away, he went and he put it to work. They didn't know when the master would return, but they wanted to have done as much as possible when he finally arrived. There's one last point I think is important to point out. If you're wondering where we fit into this, we are actually living in the period of time between verse 18, the last verse that I just read, and verse 19, the verse we'll read here in just a moment. We're actually living between these two verses. That's the time we're waiting for Jesus Return. Jesus is gone. He ascended to heaven, but he gave the promise that he would return. And we've been given our talents as well, according to our abilities and gifts that God has given us. And it's our privilege to serve the Lord and increase our talents as well. We're living between these two verses, 18 and 19. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master of these servants, of those servants, returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 19 says, after a long time, we don't know how long it was, but we know it was a pretty lengthy period of time, and then the master returns. It had been a long time. They hadn't seen him in a long while, but he returns, and he returns for the purposes of settling accounts. This language in itself might indicate that the master had certain expectations and that his servants knew they'd be held accountable for this very moment when he returned. Why else would they need to settle accounts? The master was pleased with the first two servants' productivity as they doubled their talents, and he said to both of them, well done. That is so good to hear, isn't it? To have someone say to you, well done, whether it was a boss or a teacher or a coach or a parent, somebody says, well done. Every one of us loves that moment of validation for a job well done. Nobody hates ever hearing that. And that's what they heard from their their master, well done. Also, he assures them that their faithfulness with a few things was going to be rewarded because he was going to be putting them in charge of many things. Now, before we go any further, there's a question as we've been talking about this parable and the similarities or the, the, uh, the, the commonality between it and what we're experiencing potentially today. And the question that is out there is we know in the parable a talent was equivalent of some measure of wealth. The NIV calls them bags of gold. But what is that talent, what is it to us today? What is it in our experience? Theologian Ray Stedman says in this text there are clues that have been given to us which give us that answer. What is the talent for us today? The first clue is found in the opening verse. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. And the words that are important there are his wealth. Those are key. You see, this is a reference to the talents that were about to be distributed. Clue number one is this. Talents are God's property. These talents that we're talking about, they're not yours and they're not mine. In fact, they're something which only God controls. The talents are not distributed like natural gifts or abilities or skills which are given to all mankind and they're oftentimes given freely. But talents are given only to those who in some fashion have a relationship of a servant in regard to the Lord. To them, he is willing to distribute this part of his property. Number one, talents are God's property. Clue number two is found in verse 15. It says, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. That last phrase, to each according 
to his ability. It's here that we learn that these talents are clearly not natural abilities. And a lot of times people make that mistake in this parable. Because of the term talent, they just automatically apply what you and I think when we think about the term talent. But that's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, talents, clue number two, are distributed on the basis of natural ability. To one guy, God gave five talents because he was somebody who had tremendous gifts and abilities. To another, he gave two talents because, well, he wasn't as gifted as the first. And to a third, he gave just one talent because he had few natural abilities. The third clue is not stated in the text, but it's implied. And that is this. The Lord expected those servants to invest the talents. Invest in such a way as to produce an increase. So the talent is something that can be invested, but while investing it, there's a risk. And that risk can result in a gain or can also result in a loss. And the decision to risk as we see in this text, is totally up to the servants. Well, it brings us to clue number four, and it's also implied. Investment of the talent must be solely for the benefit of the Lord. Listen closely. As far as the servants knew, any loss that would be incurred would be their loss, but any profit would be the master's. So, assimilating all those clues together, what do Christians have which is solely God's property, which comes to us on the basis of natural ability, which requires risk on our part, and that the risk appears to benefit only the Lord and not ourselves? Have you figured it out yet? Let me put it this way. When you recognize that you have a certain gift or a certain ability, what do you look for? Don't we look for opportunities to use that gift? And as we grow in our faith and we see our abilities developing and growing, don't we look for bigger opportunities to use those gifts? That's what a talent is. The talent in this parable are moments of opportunity. The proper use of these opportunities results in even greater opportunities to use one's abilities in the future. I think about starting in ministry in 1982 as an intern at Southland Christian Church and having no clue what I was doing. To tell me at that point, a 19-year-old college student, that I would be standing here in 2020 would have been hard for me to believe. But over the course of my life, God has given me an opportunity and I took advantage of that opportunity. I used it, I stepped into it and used my abilities and my talents and gifts. And then what happened? God gave me another opportunity, a little bit bigger. And then another opportunity, and then another opportunity, and before long, we're here. 
Same can be true for everyone who's a Christ follower who hears my voice today. If we step in to the opportunity that God gives us, it's his prerogative. It's not fate. He's the one opening those doors. Use those abilities and gifts and talents that he's given you when he gives you those opportunities. Those first two servants were invited by the master to share in his joy. Now, we're not clear what that is either. Have you gathered something? There are a lot of unknowns in this text. But perhaps he was inviting them to enjoy some of the blessings of his prosperity. Some of the blessings that maybe they were the ones responsible for, for bringing to him. Here's a key point in this section. Be faithful to use your abilities when opportunities come your way. Always be faithful. Always be faithful to use your abilities when opportunities come your way. Verse 24 and 25 says this. When the man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, unlike the other servants who came and joyfully displayed the results of their labor, this third servant began by making excuses for his lack of productivity. And if you notice, he's kind of blaming the master for the results that he gets. Let me say this. Making excuses is oftentimes a sign that you didn't do what you should have done. Apparently, the servant was afraid, so he buried his talent because he thought his master was, as he said, a hard man, a difficult person. He knew the boss was going to hold him accountable when he returned, and he feared failing, so he took the easy route. He knew the boss was going to come back and have an expectation for him. He further describes his master as one who profits from the labors of others. In other words, he perceives his boss as a shrewd businessman who has a knack for turning a profit when others couldn't see the possibility of that even happening. He imagined that the loss of his master's money in a risky business venture would not end well for him. He'd be severely punished, so he rationalized that it made more sense to just dig a hole in the backyard and bury the money there. At least, it would guarantee the return of the exact amount that he'd been entrusted with. But this servant couldn't have been more wrong. Verse 26 says, the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The excuses given were totally inadequate. The master reprimands the servant. He calls him wicked and lazy. It's a far cry from what the others heard, well done. 
The servant simply didn't have the inclination to use his talent in a productive way on behalf of his master. If he totally believed his master was a shrewd businessman who fully expected a profit from this talent that had been entrusted to this servant, why didn't he at least put the money in the bank so that he might earn interest? Surely he knew about that. Well, the reason is that banks in that period of time, they were risky too. The safest place in the whole world actually was a hole in the ground in the backyard. He failed to realize something that's very important. Once you receive a talent, you are obligated to use it wisely. Seize every opportunity that God gives you. Verse 28 and following. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The one thing that this third servant learned, albeit tragically, was that his master valued productivity over preservation. He wanted to see you do something with what he entrusted to him. In his commentary, Good News According to Matthew, author Edward Schweitzer writes this. He says, where God's gift has already borne fruit, God gives in superabundance. Where it has remained fruitless, it is lost completely. This means that God's gift can never be passively possessed. It is like a muscle. It must be worked and stretched or it withers. I think Schweitzer is exactly right. God's gift, the opportunities that he gives to you and me, they can't be passively possessed. They have to be used. We have to go all in if we're going to get the full benefit of them. We can't go halfway or even partway or even no way at all. Seize the opportunities to use your abilities, your skills, and your gifts for the kingdom of God. Put it into action. Use it. Or as we always say, lose it. A minister by the name of Mark Batterson, one of the great authors of our modern day, writes this. And he makes this distinction about key two kinds of people in this world today within the context of the faith. He said there are two kinds of people. Those who ask why and those who ask why not. Now I wonder, who am I in this and who are you? Going all out is asking why not. Why people look for excuses. Why not people look for opportunities. Why people are asking to... Why people are afraid of making mistakes, why not people don't want to miss out on God-ordained opportunities? As Christ followers, 
we should want to be all in to advance his kingdom. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 18, in the end of that verse. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We need to know that gates are a defensive measure. And that tells us something about our enemy. Our enemy is playing defense, and that means we're playing offense. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It is storming the gates of hell and taking back territory that the enemy has stolen that belongs to God. And every opportunity that we get, we should take full advantage to do that. And that's what happens. When we seize opportunities to use our gifts and our talents and our skills to advance the kingdom of God, we push against the gates of Hades. I'm afraid that for a lot of people who call themselves Christians today, they have reduced being a disciple of God as simply the absence of wrongdoing. But goodness is not the absence of badness. You see, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. James put it this way in James 4.17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This parable makes that crystal clear. That third servant illustrates that not going for it is bad. It's really bad. He missed his opportunity and he found himself outside of the master's house. During this season, more people than probably over the last decade are open They're thinking about God, many of them, like they've never thought about it before. They're questioning, is it possible? They're wondering, is he really out there? And if the gates of Hades cannot hold us back, then when the opportunity comes to share what Jesus has meant to you and how he's changed your life, take the opportunity. Step into it. Use that talent in that moment. Use all your abilities, all your gifts, all your, all your skills. Take advantage of that opportunity. If the gates of Hades can't hold us out, then when the opportunity to serve someone or encourage to someone or pray with someone or invite someone to come with you to a service, then let's seize those opportunities. Step into it. If the gates of Hades can't stand against us, when God gives you an opportunity to teach or lead or sing or worship or share, step into that. Use that talent. All the gifts and abilities, skills that God has blessed you with, use it to advance his kingdom. Let's take back territory that the enemy has stolen from us. Let's labor until Jesus returns. Like that legion of day traders. Let's labor without a care for the risks involved. Let's pray together. God, I'm grateful 
that you invest opportunities in us. Uh, there are people who are listening to this message that are five talent people. There are people who are listening to this who are one talent people. And then there's a whole host of people in between. Lord, as somebody who was never a five talent person, I'm just grateful that you gave me the opportunities. Lord, will you, will you help all of us to see what you have in store for us? Because the time is now. We know that Jesus is coming back. We just don't know when. But we want to be busy about your business, Lord, to make as much happen while he's away as we possibly can as you guide our steps and you open these opportunities for us. Lord, I pray for those chances to minister to people in need, to serve people who, who truly need a hand up. I pray, God, for those opportunities to comfort those who are hurting, who are going through stuff right now, maybe because of this pandemic, maybe because of the loss of a job, maybe because of something completely different. Lord, help us to recognize the opportunities to share about Jesus and the difference that he made in my life and in the lives of those who are listening. God, help us not to be so self-focused that we miss these opportunities that you're giving us. God, will you awaken your church to the opportunities around us to advance your kingdom and to crash through the gates of Hades, take back territory that has been taken from you. Lord, awaken your church so that we are faithfully serving you when you make your return. God, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in with us today. Be sure you're staying connected by following NCC Lex on all social media platforms. Also, if you'd like more information on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, drop us a message on social or just shoot an email over to notes to at nccleggs.org. You guys have a blessed week and we'll see you soon.